In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, y'all. <laughs> so good to be with you, Father Matt. Thank you for the invitation. I've been wanting to do this for quite some time, and when I saw we were having one of our associates preach at Ascension today, I'm like, I'm out of here. I want to come be with you all. So great to be with you and just to see how God continues to open the right doors at the right time. Uh, And uh, thank you for all the work that you all are doing. So today, third week of Lent, we are faced with the longest continuous narrative that we see in the Gospels. And so we assume it's got quite a bit to say to us. And so we're going to kind of walk through this. Um, But before that, I want to share a story that perhaps some of you know, because I think it it partakes to this. Before I became the rector of a church, I had worked at two private schools and had been the chaplain at those schools. And ironically, the leadership of the schools, for some reason, thought it was safer to allow the chaplain to do the sex education talk to middle schoolers than anybody else. Um, they obviously didn't know me very well. So, And so as I had thought about what do you do and how do you approach this and um, thinking back to my experience when I had uh, my woodshed talk from my father, what would be helpful here? And in my opinion, hope is always that which invites us to more. And so I would take these middle school kids, and you can imagine as soon as you even bring up the topic, you know, laughter begins, the boys are doing the jokes, and I would have them cut out a kind of humanoid picture, and I would have them draw all the characteristics they would hope to have in their future spouse. So if you're a a young man, what would you like your wife to look like? If you're a young lady, what would you want? Looks, characteristics, of course, everybody wanted him to be good looking, rich, funny, I mean, you name it, right? Uh, All the basic things. But then I said, somewhere out there, maybe even in this classroom, your future spouse is living. Somewhere in the world, they're here and you're here, and through the events of your life, you're going to eventually meet this person. So how would you like them to live their life from this moment on, knowing that they're going to be your spouse someday? What choices would you want them to make? How would you want them to live their lives? And so at that moment, I would bring out an Oreo, and I would come before one of the kids, kind of knowing the row I was working with, and I would say, here, do whatever you want to do with this Oreo and then pass it to the person behind you. Middle schoolers. <laughs> so, of course, one would snap off part of the top, and finally it took two or three kids and finally had the kid little lick all over it, right? And it was like, oh, my God, disgusting. So then I would take that Oreo, yes, and hold on to it. Now today I'd be in a hazmat suit, right? <laughs> but I would take a fresh Oreo... And I would kneel literally before some sweet seventh grader named, you know, Ashley. And I would say, Ashley, you're the love of my life. I've been waiting. Of course, she could, you know, and all the kids are just giggling. And I said, I've been waiting for you all my life. Here's what I have to offer you. The broken Oreo. Versus, of course, the clean one. For years after that. If Debbie and I were out and we saw kids in the mall and we were out, they would say, my Oreo's still good. (laughs) I'm like, that's good to know. (laughs) Glad that stuck with you. 
In short, not to simplify what we're going to talk about, but what we're doing is engaging a woman who had shared her Oreo quite a bit and was broken and was wounded and thought very little of herself. So now Jesus was traveling from one area to get back to Galilee. And he could have gone around this area of Samaria, which would have been politically correct because, of course, the Samaritans and the Jews had a long issues that had gone back for hundreds, if not thousands of years. But Jesus didn't allow political intrigue or confrontation to stop him. He saved himself some time, but went through this area and sat at a very famous well to take some rest. And his disciples went on to go get some food. And it was about the sixth hour, so it was noon. It was hot. There's sun. Uh, It's not the typical time people come out to the well. Usually people come out early in the morning so they can have their water for the rest of the day. And when a Samaritan woman came out to draw some water, Jesus breaks all social boundaries and asks her for a drink. One, he's a man, she's a woman, shouldn't have been talking to her. He's a Jew, she's a Samaritan, definitely shouldn't have been talking to her. He's a rabbi, she's a Samaritan woman, third, should not have been talking to her. So his request to her scares her, takes her off guard. She's not quite knows what to do. And so she says, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus said, oh, if you you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you, you would have asked him not for this, but for living water. And so we begin this interesting conversation of what my father used to call instead of dialogue, dual log. Anyone who's been married knows what that is, right? Uh, One is talking at this level, the other one's talking at this level, and you don't quite make that connection. She is, of course, talking through the physical needs. He, of course, is offering spiritual refreshment. Sir, he says, if you you got nothing to draw the water with, the well is deep, you're asking me, it's not making sense to her. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? And Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling from eternal life. And the woman said to her, sir, well, they give me this water. Because you see, the reason she came out at noon is that she didn't want to have to deal with the locals of the village. She hadn't been married once. She had been married twice, three times, four times, five times. Um, we think Twitter just started with us. Take a bunch of Jewish women in an old village with somebody who's been married five times, and I guarantee you it was tweeting all over town about who this woman was. And now we will find out in a minute that the man she's living with isn't her husband. And so she had come out during the heat of the day to avoid any confrontations with the people in her life, to hide her shame. Because, of course, she did not feel worthy. So the woman said, well, sir, give me this water. That way I don't have to come back to this well anymore. I'll be thrilled to be able to have it right in the house. I'll never have to deal with people or deal with the ramifications or consequences of my choice in front of all of these people. I don't have to deal with the judgment of my actions. And so Jesus 
who is the word, and the word is the sword of truth, Jesus moves to what I call spiritual surgery and tells her, well, go and get your husband and come back. And to her credit, she speaks honestly and says, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. He's not your husband and neither have been the five guys you've been with. And I love this because she does this switch like many of us do when we're confronted with the truth that causes us to be uncomfortable. Sir, I see you're a prophet because how do you know this? You're a Jew. You haven't come through this. I've never seen you in this community before. Had you heard things already? Who talked about me? You can imagine all the conversation that's going on in her mind. And then she changes the subject to, of all things, theology. Well, our fathers worship on this mountain, but the Jews claim that it's a place where we must worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus then begins to establish the connection and the fact that the word of God, the healing of God, the renewal of God that this Messiah is offering isn't just for the Jewish people, but is for the entire world. And aren't we thankful for that as recipients of it right now, today? And so he begins to unpack the theological implication of what's taking place. And finally, the woman said, I know that the Messiah is Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Yes, I am. The classic theophonic formula. I am that I am. That is not a mistake. And in the midst of this deep moment of recognition. She recognizes he's a prophet. He reveals he's the Messiah. She begins to think of the implications of this for her. We get our comic relief from our lovely disciples who have now come back from Walmart with the food for lunch. And they begin to think Jesus' disciples returned. They were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But nobody asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Classic. They had all these issues, but nobody had the strength to ask it. And they're going, oh, man, Jesus is getting us in trouble again. Here we are in Samaria. We can only imagine what he's doing. But listen to this. Then leaving her water jar, she went back to the town, leaving that which was nourishing, leaving the whole reason she went to the well to begin with, leaving her physical sense, something shifted, and she was willing to go back to the people who had been ridiculing her, the people who had been judging her, the people who were putting her down for her choices. She goes back and is willing because of whatever sparked in her to share this good news of what's taking place. Come and see, this man told me everything that I've done. And you all know what I've done because you've been talking about it the whole time. Could this be the Christ? And so the entire town comes out and made their way toward him. The disciple engaged now from their physical sense. Hey, we brought food, but you don't seem to be hungry. Here's, here's something. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples came to him and could someone have brought him food? Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe with this harvest. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, from the ends of the crop through the internal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus saying, one sows and the other reaps is true. I sent you to reap. 
God has sent this place to be the next outpost for good news. This place to be the next outpost for hope, for redemption, for transformation. Because as this woman was willing to be transparent in front of the Savior, he did not condemn her. He did not chastise her. He invited her to more. He invited her to step beyond the fear of what could be and open her life up to something that she may have never known before, to leave her shame of the choices behind and begin a new life. How many of us have things in our life that we would love to have wiped off the the chart to begin to start a new journey. See, my dad was a great dad, great priest. For those of you that don't know, I'm a preacher's kid. But he had old ways as an Italian dad, and we had that woodshed tech. It was all uh, woodshed talk early. It wasn't about hope of what can be. It was about fear that if you do something, you're going to get in trouble. And that's why for whatever what God did with me and teaching those middle school kids was, let's not get worried about in trouble, but let's worry about what the blessings and the hope can be if we make proper choices from this day forth for anymore. And when we don't, that God's redemption is active and present and his transformation is real in our life. That we do get a do-over every day we wake up and give ourselves to God. That Lent shouldn't be a time of dour sorrow, but as an opportunity for us to be transparent before the cross, to offer ourselves and petition for the Lord, to do the spiritual spring cleaning that we all need to do in order that there's room for the I am to enter into our hearts and into our minds and bring us to a new chapter of life. Because here's the result of transparency. Here's the result of authenticity. Here's the result of being open before the Lord. And many of the Samaritans from that day believed in him because one of the woman's testimony, when she said, he told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him another two days. So at first they're like, you're a Jew. You shouldn't be there now. Through this, uh, this process of healing, they want him to stay longer. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. He reestablished her place in the community as one who was willing to risk all that she had in her history to go invite these people a new life. And her life, my hope is, was never the same. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him who is gained by faith into grace into that which we now stand. And not only We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope in God does not, will not ever disappoint. This season gives us an opportunity to be hopeful about what God not only has for us, but if we are willing again 
to be led by the Spirit, to step out of political convention, to step into areas and be transparent with people in our lives and share the redemption that I hope each one of us in this room feels. That's the hope we can share with others. That's how this church will grow from 2 to 4 to 8 to 16 to 150 to 300. And before you know it, you'll be in your own church. And looking back and go, how did we get here? We got here through love and through people who are willing to give up their lives to risk something new. Thank you for being willing to leave your water jugs at Ascension and to be willing to go into this area and to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to all who have ears to hear. For we pray for you weekly and daily. Even though we're a few miles apart, we are still connected in heart and love and faith and pride and thanksgiving for all that you have been willing to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all who believe in him, all who believe in him, not those that are perfect, will have everlasting life. Hope. Hope in God will never disappoint. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.